It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When children enter care because of abuse, neglect, or because their parents are no longer able to look after them, they're either fostered by families or they end up in care homes. These can be run by local authorities or by charities, but these days they're often run by for-profit companies. They can be very simple. I mean, they can just be a house in a residential area that's been converted for this purpose. A Times investigation has now found that a number of children's care homes are being run by people with some very dubious credentials. There's a member of a religious group whose leader claims to be able to cure HIV and make the blind see. There's a, a guy who, in 1997, was convicted of being one of the ringleaders of a drug smuggling gang who had brought uh, £20 million worth of cannabis resin to Scotland on a fishing boat. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, a Times investigation. Who owns children's care homes? The children's social care sector is something that we had been interested in as a paper for a while, and there had been a spate of reports around various different problems in that sector, with quite a few high-profile reviews and investigations going on by regulators and different individuals that had been tasked with looking into the area. So it was clear there was a lot going wrong. Looking into the children's social care sector is Billy Kember, senior investigations reporter at The Times. This story really started with a specific tip from a whistleblower, if you like, wanting to draw our attention to the criminal history of somebody running a, a children's home in Essex. Billy set to work trying to establish if a children's care home in Essex was really being run by a convicted criminal. But along the way, he found a number of examples of poorly run homes where the well-being of children was being put at risk. Children's care homes are inspected by Ofsted, the government regulator that also inspects schools. It was their inspection of a children's residential home in Bolton that made headlines. (laughs) 
This was an inspection that was carried out in January and what the Ofsted inspectors found was so serious that the home was immediately closed. What they found was a boy living at the home who hadn't bathed or been given a home-cooked meal or changed his clothes in four months, that throughout that period, no single staff member had entered his bedroom and there was a a pungent smell that was emanating from the room and flies and and other issues. And the second child living in the home had been given CPR when they didn't need it, which is obviously very alarming as well. It was clear to those inspectors that something was going very, very wrong. I mean, that does sound extraordinary. What was going wrong? Only two members of the staff had a childcare qualification and taken as a whole, the staff were deemed to be very inexperienced to care for what were two very complex children. So children with very complex behavioural issues or disabilities that needed uh, specific care plans. The home had only been running six months or so. It was set up in, in the previous August. And like many of the homes that we've looked into in, in this investigation, it was set up by someone who'd got no real experience in the sector. They'd never owned or run a, a children's home before. He was a 34-year-old. His background was in running a bar and restaurant in York, running some training courses for for young people uh, and working as a plasterer. It's a very different thing. Running a a children's home is obviously very important work. It's very difficult work. And when you're dealing with children who have particularly uh, complex behavioural problems, then as this report demonstrated, there's a lot that can go wrong. Clearly, this sector, there, there is something going on which is attracting some people who have no experience in the area and who see it as a commercial opportunity. They can open a home, make quite a lot of money in a short space of time, and the consequences are really for others to pick up. We'll come on to the bigger problems that clearly are facing the sector. With this particular home, I mean, when Ofsted go in and they see children in that state, they see a a room with flies in it and a pungent smell and a a child who hasn't bathed for four months – what can they actually do? What, what do they do about that home and what do they say about it? Those children will have been removed very rapidly from that home. I mean, to put it in mm. context, there are several people I've spoken to who have worked in, in this industry, in this sector for, for several decades who describe that report as one of the worst they've ever read, if not the worst. But often it, these homes are failing, but they're not closed. And the Ofsted inspectors make recommendations of what needs to be improved. They might stop the home accepting new children for a period, but it's quite rare that a home is closed down like this. And was it closed down altogether? That home has been closed altogether, yes, and a school that the same company run by this 34-year-old was looking into opening, uh, that project has also been abandoned. So belatedly, the regulation in the sector has done its job in that case, but as this investigation demonstrates, there are dozens of homes with serious issues that are continuing to operate, that are being run by uh, inexperienced or first-time owners, uh, and most of those homes are still going. And what did the owners in this case say? How did they explain what had happened? So the owner, who is a, is a guy called Robert McGuinness, said that he had recruited what he described as an experienced children's care home operations director to operate the care home, uh, and that he had assured him that it was being run well at all times, essentially blaming the operations director for what had gone wrong. So still not really taking responsibility? No, I don't think he really took, he's really taken responsibility at all. Taking a step back... You know, who are the children who tend to be in these care homes? 
Children living in care homes are what's called looked after children. So these are children who have perhaps suffered abuse and neglect and so have been taken away from their birth families or their birth families are perhaps unable to look after them if they're severely disabled or severely ill or, or, or there are other issues. And they then become the responsibility of local authorities and local councils to house and look after these children. The vast majority are looked after through foster families, but I think it's slightly under maybe 15% who, who end up in residential children's homes. There are almost 81,000 looked-after children under the age of 18 in England, and more than 11,000 of them are in residential care homes. These can be run by local authorities or by charities, but these days they're often run by for-profit companies. They can be very simple. I mean, they can just be a house in a residential area that's been converted for this purpose and they would maybe house two or three children, some of the larger ones. You can house a few more than that. And then there'll be live-in social care workers, uh, residential workers, which is not a particularly well-paid job, but they're responsible for looking after the children around the clock. I hadn't realised they could be so small because that sort of sounds almost like anyone could open one up. That is really very much the problem that this investigation identifies is that although there are a number of hurdles to clear to open a children's home, they are clear failings. They're clearly not rigorous enough. And because of the explosion in the value of the sector, the, the big increase in fees that these companies can charge that we've seen over the last decade or so, it's become a very commercially attractive area for, for anyone with a property that thinks they want to make some money. Why is that? Give us a bit of the history. What, what's changed? So historically, almost all children's homes were run by local authorities and were owned by local authorities. Those tended to be bigger houses that could hold more children at a time. But that was the norm in the 70s and 80s. And what's happened over time is that local authorities have been selling off their stock of children's homes and therefore leaving a gap in the market that the for-profit sector has filled. I think there are a variety of reasons why local authorities have sold off their homes. It's obviously some of these properties particularly for councils in London or in wealthy cities, became very valuable. And so it was done to fill budget issues. I think there was also a degree to which a number of scandals, particularly around child sexual abuse in local authority-run homes, led to councils thinking we don't want the direct legal risk of running these things. It's easier for us to, to farm it out to a third party. And so what we have now is a market where more than 80% of homes are run by private companies. And what that also often means is that children are being sent to homes that are hundreds of miles away from where they lived or where they grew up because these homes tend to be clustered much more around the north of England where property prices are much lower. And so you have, for example, London councils who would be sending children to live a few hundred miles away up north and therefore taking advantage of that that lower price of property. I mean, that must be so unsettling and, and it's clearly being done for a profit incentive. It's a significant issue. It's an issue that has been sort of known about and flagged for some time now, but it's not one that has been successfully tackled because to reverse this trend, you, what you would need would be for local authorities to begin reopening their own children's homes. And that requires mm. a lot of upfront capital to purchase these properties and to fit them out and to staff them. And I don't think there's a council in the country that has the capital reserves and the healthy budget to do that. So it's going to require a huge amount of investment for a kind of fundamental change in, it, in how that market currently works. And then alongside that, as fees have gone up hugely because councils lack their own provision to fill and so they're reliant on these companies. And so when they have a child who 
hasn't gone anywhere to go and it's Friday afternoon and they basically have to accept whatever price is demanded and the average fee has grown from I think about £2,800 a week uh, in 2013 uh, to more than £4,000 a week now and that's that's just wow. the average the most extreme cases uh, the most complicated cases can command north of £10,000 a week so there's huge amounts of money to be made even from you know relatively small homes. So, I mean, I can see it's clearly really lucrative. You can see the business case for people setting up these children's homes, even if they don't have any experience at all. What really alarmed me, though, from what you were saying, was that you know, clearly before this trend started, councils already knew that there were problems happening, even when they were running them in children's homes. Things were going wrong, and it feels like rather than solving that problem, they've just offloaded it legally onto other people so that they're slightly at arm's length. I mean, what sort of checks actually go on around who can run children's homes now? So to become the uh, director of a company running a children's home, you have to be vetted by the regulator, which is Ofsted, the education regulator. Um, and they require a number of checks, details of your background, references, um, financial information about the company, but they don't require uh, criminal records checks, which is something that's an issue in one of the cases we'll get on to. There's something called the responsible individual, who's the person, uh, as it sounds, responsible for the overall care provided in the home and, and for meeting the various pieces of legislation that set down compliance standards. So they have to be vetted to a slightly higher level, and so does the manager of the home. But beneath that, the sort of day-to-day grunt work is relatively low-paid work for which people are encouraged to have qualifications, but there's no specific requirements for those lower-level workers to have passed specific vetting. On the council side, they're responsible for uh, ensuring that they're putting children in a place that is safe and that provides a good quality of care. The social services department will liaise closely with homes where they've placed children and with Ofsted, the regulator. But as we've seen, there are cases that can fall through the cracks. And so that Bolton Care Home, which had such issues when the inspectors went in in January that had been going for five months or so, had already been paid £145,000 by Bolton Council for housing two children there. Oh, that's really shocking. Clearly, the councils have some responsibility around who runs these children's homes and the standards there. Who actually goes in and sort of inspects them? You know, How, how often does that happen? What's the process around regulating them? So inspections are carried out by inspectors employed by Ofsted and they mix and match between going into homes, between carrying out sort of compliance checks, which are largely paperwork based, and also between vetting directors and managers of new homes. I think Ofsted's ambition is to, well, certainly the typical case is to visit a home every year, but there has been a lot of disruption caused by COVID. There was a complete suspension of any in-person inspections for quite a period during the first phases of the pandemic. And so there are certainly homes I've seen where there have been quite long periods between in-person checks. The other thing is with these homes, things can look fine and then go wrong very rapidly, which is a kind of common theme. Some of these homes have had good Ofsted ratings and then because of an issue that the regulator has become aware of, they've had a a sort of emergency visit a few weeks or a couple of months later and and it's become apparent that that actually the home is failing and there are serious safeguarding issues. So... There are two and a half thousand children's homes in the country, so it's difficult for Ofsted to have eyes on all of them all all the time, and and so invariably things fall between the cracks. While the case of the home in Bolton was clearly an example, a really alarming example of what happens if a home is run badly, if people aren't well trained, it sounded negligent, frankly. But apart from that, you've also found cases where homes are being run by people who are just, you know, quite 
obviously, I would have thought, inappropriate. And it does look like some of those regulations about vetting, for example, don't seem to be happening. Tell me a bit about the ones that have really shocked you. I think there's there's sort of different categories, really, in terms of the owners and whether they have an appropriate background to be in this industry and to be doing this job. I think one common theme is that those that haven't got experience in the sector are so reliant on the staff they recruit because they haven't got the expertise themselves. And so there's certainly a common theme in the inspection reports of their homes is issues where they've hired staff who aren't as effective as they believe when appointing them and they've lacked the expertise themselves to sort out those issues and a home has kind of really spiralled into to serious problems. Or they've relied on agency staff or a very high turnover of, of staff so no one has been able to foster proper relationships with the children they haven't necessarily completed training and then there's a whole host of issues with staff who just don't have any relevant qualifications that would give you confidence they're going to provide good quality care in terms of the background of the owners it just really runs the gamut of totally unrelated industries there's a there's the cocktail bar owner we talked about there's uh, an electrician there's a, a guy who spent 25 years of his career advising people on how to run call centers efficiently and, and how to set them up there's a lot of property developers because this is an obvious thing to move into if you've got vacant properties there's a member of a religious group whose leader claims to be able to cure hiv and make the blind see and that owner is oh. is running two homes in the birmingham area still uh, I think one of them has actually closed voluntarily, but this, yeah, one of them is still open. Coming up, the children's care home run by a convicted drug smuggler. But first... Hi, I'm Kat Lay, health editor at The Times. Our health coverage spans everything from how the way we live can raise or lower our risk of diseases, to advances in medical treatment, to the problems facing the NHS and their potential solutions. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. 
Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM. While the shocking case in Bolton raised the alarm about failing children's care homes, the Times investigation was sparked by the owner of a home in Essex. This is a guy called John Smith who in 1997 was convicted of being one of the ringleaders of a drug smuggling gang who had brought uh, £20 million worth of cannabis resin to Scotland on a fishing boat. They'd picked the drug off the coast of Morocco and, and brought it back to Scotland. What they hadn't realised is that the fishermen that they'd hired to help with the delivery had gone to customs and excise and most of the crew of that boat were actually undercover customs and excise officers. So he was convicted. He got a 14-year sentence. It was reduced on appeal to 11 years. But that is a sufficiently long sentence that it's never considered spent. And until we approached him for comment on the story, he was the director and co-owner of a children's home in Essex. Was he a direct owner of the children's home? Yes, so he was a co-owner. I think it was him and his wife and business partner, John Lawrence and his wife, and then also a director of that company. He resigned as a director of the company on the day he was approached about this article. But I don't think he's yet filed any paperwork to suggest that he has no longer got any shares uh, in the company. So uh, as far as we're aware, he still has a business interest in this home. We should say that while John Smith's ownership of a children's home should raise questions, the home itself is currently rated good, the second highest rating by Ofsted. But why hadn't the regulator identified that John Smith may not be an appropriate owner for a children's care home? The system is designed to identify whether a business owner is a fit and proper person to be responsible for a company that is looking after vulnerable children. And clearly this is the sort of case that those checks should be flagging up and is not someone that they would consider a suitable director. And yet he passed the checks and was a director. So something went badly wrong there. We think he's still benefiting from the business. Do we have any sense of how much money he will have made out of this so far? I think I'm right in saying that that uh, children's home over about a year and a half just under had received about £800,000 in fees from Essex County Council. Now, that won't all be profit, obviously, but those are very significant sums. Yeah. When you sort of found that this was happening and you approached the company, what did they have to say about it? We had no response at all from that company. He resigned as a director. That's the only proxy response we've had. Do you have any sense of how that's been allowed to happen? If there are supposed to be checks and a process of vetting, how do you end up with somebody who has served so long in prison, who is a convicted drug smuggler, running a, a children's home for troubled children? Our understanding is that he, he obviously didn't disclose that criminal sentence during the Ofsted vetting process, and Ofsted just appeared to have missed it. Now, they're not allowed to ask directors to undergo criminal records checks, which obviously would have flagged this, but they have ways around that. They ask you to provide details of everything you've done since you left full-time education and to explain any gaps. And obviously there would have been a fairly lengthy gap there while he spent time in prison. They can conduct interviews with prospective directors. It's not clear whether they did in this case. I think one of the most shocking aspects is that 
The co-owner of this home is a guy called John Lawrence, runs another children's home in Essex. And that home had issues last year, which the, the Times reported on, when John Lawrence's son, who was also a director of that children's home, was convicted of having a large kitchen knife hidden behind the sun visor of his van, which police had found during a stop. So even with that sort of red flag, they hadn't looked at the sort of wider connection. That really is remarkable. These do sound like the most inappropriate people. Has anything changed in the vetting? So not yet. I mean, Ofsted's position is that they have said for some time that there are shortfalls in what they'd like to be able to do and that the legislation that governs this, which is the Care Standards Act from 2000, is more than two decades old and was written in an era in which most homes were still local authority or non-profit. And so they're not able to do the proper checks that they would like to be able to do, not just on you know criminal records checks or more detailed checks on the business owners, but they're not able at the moment to look up the sort of corporate ladder, if you like, the corporate structure. And one feature of this sort of privatisation of the children's social care sector is that private equity has now got involved and is doing a lot of what's called roll-ups, buying a lot of these small homes and putting them into big chains. And Ofsted would certainly like the powers to scrutinise directors who might not be a director of the of the company immediately owning the children's home, but in a big chain, you know, would, would be a director of the of the parent company and, and ultimately having a big role in, in overseeing the business activities of that firm. Clearly something is going wrong with children's homes and Ofsted, as you said, have said that they would like more powers. Is the government aware of the problems? Are they looking to make any changes? The government is definitely aware of the problems in this sector. As part of a a manifesto commitment, they commissioned an independent review uh, of the whole sector, the Care Review, which has very recently reported back. And that has a whole host of recommendations about how the whole field might be rethought. It it puts a, a lot more emphasis on supporting families to prevent family breakdowns and to increase the number of uh, foster parents and to essentially try and reduce the number of children that end up in children's homes. In terms of these particular issues we've seen around the fees being charged and the types of owners we're seeing in the sector, there are concerns that if you have these big privately run chains, particularly the private equity owned chains, a lot of them have loaded on a lot of debt because that's part of the business model and there are fears of a sort of Southern Cross style disaster where if you have a collapse of a big chain there will suddenly be a large number of children who will urgently need rehoming and there is already a chronic shortage of places. It it has some suggestions, it talks about setting up regional cooperatives so local authorities can work together to bargain on on fees and for placements and and to also share the cost of opening new children's homes and it also suggests a windfall tax on the largest providers. I think particularly on the former, I mean it's really going to depend how much money the government is actually prepared to put up to tackle this problem that will determine whether that really does tackle these issues and what has clearly become a broken market. For people who don't remember Southern Cross, just remind us what happened there and what the fears will be now. In many ways, what's happened to the children's social care market mirrors what happened to uh, the adult social care market, so care homes for the elderly a decade or two earlier. And that culminated in the collapse of this huge chain, Southern Cross, that had been loaded up with debt 
that owned a large number of care homes and that went bust and then left a huge problem for the government and local authorities to bail out because you then had a large number of people who'd been living in these homes who they needed caring for. The fear is that the same thing could happen to children's homes and you'd overnight have hundreds of children who don't have anywhere to live and not necessarily anywhere to put them. It does feel like this is a really alarming look at what's happening in children's homes, which I think most of us, you know, we don't see all the time, but we kind of hope that they're being run well. And then when you see cases like this, you're really stunned by it. It feels like we've sort of had similar scandals in care homes in the past, in lots of different parts of what used to be the public sector, I suppose. Is there something broader going wrong with the way we regulate some of these institutions? I think it's really more about market forces and what happens when the government, whether that be the central government or local authorities, steps out of an area and what comes in to fill that gap. And it's not necessarily the case that privately run providers are failing by any stretch of the imagination. And it's certainly not the case that that none of them are providing safe home and, and good care. But I think where regulators come in is that if you're going to have a sector that becomes much more dominated by privately run providers than it previously had been, then regulators have to be alive to that and have to be equipped with the right tools to deal with that, whether that be specific powers or just resources. And all too often, the legislation or the resources don't keep pace with the rapid pace of market forces. Into that lag, into that gap, you get all all sorts of problems and you get people that see maybe an opportunity to make some serious money relatively quickly and the consequences are left for others to pick up. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, senior investigations reporter at The Times, Billy Kember. You can read more about Billy's investigation at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.